In nature, a wildfire is one of the most devastating natural forces. It burns hot and fast and leaves little behind but ash and char. Or so it seems. Very soon after the fire passes through the forest, life returns. Shrubs and weeds that clog the forest floor have burned away, leaving space for new trees, grasses, and flowers to emerge and flourish. Habitats are created, bringing new insects, birds, reptiles, and mammals. A cancer diagnosis can feel like a wildfire, our bodies becoming this new, fire-clarified landscape. For some, cancer changes utterly everything. For others, cancer brings greater clarity and purpose. And some of us are still searching for what life after a cancer diagnosis will look like. Welcome to The Burn. We are exploring stories of life and transformation following a breast cancer diagnosis. I'm April Stearns, the founder and editor of Wildfire Magazine and the host of this podcast. Today, we're going to hear a story about a middle place, a woman living in the memory of her mother's breast cancer experience as she charts her own alongside her own young daughter. In the young breast cancer community, we often hear one of two things upon delving into a person's story. Either their family has no history of breast cancer, their diagnosis is out of the blue, a total surprise, or they do have a history of seeing up close what cancer means to a family. Maybe they were planning to take or actively on the road to pursuing measures to reduce their risk of cancer when their diagnosis came, having routine scans, for example, or prophylactic surgery. Or maybe there was no official genetic link identified, but they were expecting a diagnosis in the back of their mind all the same. This was the case for me. When I was 18, my family lost our grandmother, my dad's mother, Evelyn, to metastatic breast cancer. I didn't know much about breast cancer then, but somewhere in my mind, a little seed was planted that I too would be diagnosed. In my 20s, I remember eerily telling myself not to get too attached to my breasts. When the lump arrived in my 30s, I knew somehow what the biopsy would reveal. It feels absurd saying it aloud now, but I'm sure I'm not alone in this sixth sense feeling. To this day, I have not been diagnosed with a genetic mutation despite my grandmother's breast cancer and my father's pancreatic cancer. I have been told I have VUS, a variant of uncertain significance. And so I will continue to have genetic testing every seven years and eventually my daughter will have to explore what this murky history means for her. My guest today is Erica Fitch. Erica was diagnosed BRCA positive after being 12 when her mother was diagnosed with breast cancer. Two decades later, she herself was diagnosed with cancer when her own daughter was two. Her story today is about growing up with intimate knowledge of illness and the parallels when you face it yourself, and how to write deeply personal stories about what has been sewn into the fabric of your own identity. Erica joins us from her home in Bend, Oregon, where she spends her early mornings grant writing and conducting research for nonprofits her days with her daughter, Braylon, and her evenings working her business as a Norwex representative. She is an avid runner and skier, and when she is not outdoors, she is curled up by the fireplace with her family and a good book or movie. As I said, Erica was diagnosed at 30 with DCIS, stage zero, estrogen positive, and she carries the BRCA2 mutation. Welcome to The Burn, Erica. Thank you. So excited to be here, April. Thanks so much for making time today. I love that we get to chat. Of course. So you're reading a story that you wrote um, called Memories in Color. And after you read, we'll talk about color as a tool for recalling stories, symbolism, and providing structure to a story, as well as grappling with family history of cancer. 
And I will tell everyone that the story that you're reading comes from Wildfire Magazine's 2020 family issue. This was an issue in which we explored not only the ways cancer touches the ones we love most, but what it means when cancer is a legacy running deeply through the branches of a family tree. Stay tuned to the end for a writing prompt inspired by today's story. All right, Erica, I'll let you take it away. Okay. Memories in color. Green. One day when I was 29, my daughter and I went on a walk around the pond right outside our house. Our town home was actually built on top of a wetland area that flooded horribly in 1995. I was shocked when I saw houses going up in this marshy area adjacent to the Tualatin River, but I was even more shocked when my husband and I signed the line to buy one. Luckily, our home never sunk into the pond and it created beautiful green wetlands for my daughter and I to explore. My daughter's first word was duck and we watched in awe every year as hundreds of geese migrated right outside our front door. And in the tops of the highest trees perched a majestic family of blue herons, feeding their babies and soaring through the pond like pterodactyls. The pond and its inhabitants became part of our family, and my daughter and I faithfully kept watch over them every afternoon. On this particular September day, there was nothing unusual at the outset of our walk around the pond. Bee had just woken up, and she was dragging her feet as she sometimes does in the beginning. But as we turned the first corner, we saw our first duck and she lit up yelling, Ooh, duck. We crouched down and spied the duck through the tall green grass gliding above the water. It was hot and the sun sparkled on the water, blinding us from time to time. We kept on walking and all of a sudden I felt it again. That small, barely noticeable sensation in my left breast. I touched the place with my fingers, but was instantly distracted as B headed for the muddy brown slope that she could easily use as a slide into the pond. I sprinted through the green blades and grabbed her body just in time. We laughed and kept walking. We finally made it to the halfway point around the pond above the Tualatin River and completely enclosed in trees. I loved holding B's hand and just standing in one spot on this part of the trail while we listened to all the birds high above us in the trees. There was one tree in particular that we always spent extra time standing under. When you looked up, its giant green leafy branch caught the sun just right, creating another kind of sparkle, and you could feel the sun radiating through the leaves. It looked like a kaleidoscope. As I held Bee's hand, I took a moment to look up and then closed my eyes. Instantly, I thought of my grandma. I never thought of my grandma, but in this moment, I felt her presence completely overwhelming my senses. I quickly opened my eyes, honestly believing I would see my deceased grandma standing in front of me. In the same moment, my left breast started to ache again. I heard my grandma saying, it's going to be all right. I never knew my mom's mother who died of breast cancer a month before I was born, but here she was alive in my mind and clear as day, comforting me with audible words. I looked up at the trees again to steady myself as my heart started racing and tears filled my eyes. This ache in my left breast. I'd been telling myself it was a pulled muscle. I'm too young. There is no way, I'd said to myself over and over the past couple weeks. I now felt the truth throughout my whole body. I have breast cancer. In two months, I would be told by a doctor in the clinical, matter of fact way they do that I did indeed have breast cancer. But I will always count the day I learned I had breast cancer as the day my grandma told me it'd be all right. The sparkling green pond became not only hallowed ground for my daughter and I, but also for my grandma and us. 
My grandma grabbed my other hand that September day and walked the rest of the trail with us. Red. One day when I was 12, I noticed my mom standing in our downstairs bathroom staring at herself in the mirror. The red walls of the bathroom framed her body as she stood perfectly still. My mom was so excited the day the half bath off the kitchen was painted red. Red is her favorite color, and I think she always wanted a space in our house that mirrored her always perfectly polished red nails. I entered and stood at the doorframe, and my mom still didn't move. I was curious why my mom was just standing there. All of a sudden, she reached her hand up to her black hair and pulled out a fistful of hair. She remained quiet and stared straight ahead. We stayed that way for a while, me watching her silently creating a pile of black hair in the white porcelain sink, and she watching herself do it. If my mom was afraid, she did not show it. There was only determination to get through this moment. I was aching for my mom's arms to wrap around me and tell me it's going to be okay. But instead, she just pressed on. My mom has a strength that can only be characterized by fire, and it had sparked something within me too, if only for moments. This was one of those moments. I knew I had to stand strong by this woman warrior who for a moment could not worry about her child's fears, but could only demonstrate perseverance, which now I know was the greatest gift she could have given me. Gray. One day when I was 30, I was lying in bed at a 45 degree angle on a wedge pillow, uncomfortable as hell. I was one week post mastectomy and I could not get comfortable. One of the worst parts of recovery that no one mentions is that you have to sleep on your back for weeks. No, let's be real for months. I longed to turn onto my side and curl up in a ball and just disappear under my covers. After two nights of restless sleep following my mastectomy, my precious parents bought me a very fancy, large Brookstone gray wedge pillow. It looked like a ramp for a small dog to get onto a bed, and my daughter used it as such to get on the couch or just to roll down. But despite the awkward look, I was ecstatic. Yes, this will be perfect. But here I was, a couple days later, despising the gray geometric pillow. No matter how I arranged the wedge with all other 20 pillows in the house, I could not get comfortable. I could feel the anger and frustration from the past two weeks rising in my stomach. As I sat up in bed without the full use of my arms, the physical exertion and pain created even more fury within me. And before I realized what I was doing, I was yelling. I grabbed the gray pillow, which was barely under my 10 pound weight limit, walked it out to the hallway and forcefully dropped it on the ground again, yelling. I wanted to chuck it, drop, kick it, punch it, smash it, or light it on fire. But all I could do was drop it on the ground. Tears started to flow and very carefully, I collapsed back onto my bed. My husband opened the door of our daughter's bedroom. He was putting our daughter to bed in the next room and heard my WWE smackdown of the gray pillow. As soon as I saw him and my two-year-old daughter trailing behind him, I lost it even more. From the moment I heard my diagnosis, I had tried so hard to not let my daughter see me upset. She didn't understand what cancer meant, but she did understand mom in pain or mom crying. As the emotions of the past two weeks finally erupted out of me and into my husband's gentle embrace, I couldn't hide anything from my daughter. In this moment, I could not be strong for her. As I choked out words to my husband about how uncomfortable I was, and as he helped me try to create the most comfortable combination of pillows, we didn't notice my daughter leave the room. 
A couple minutes later, she entered the doorframe, wrangling the gray wedge pillow. She grunted as she pulled and pushed the giant pillow that was bigger than her over to my bed. She looked at me with determination in her eyes, pointed to the pillow and said, Mama. My husband and I looked at each other and realized she completely understood. She was trying to help. She was being the strong one. Black. One day when I was 12, my mom wore her black wig to church for the first time. My mom had taken longer than usual to get ready that morning and changed her outfit multiple times. I knew she was preoccupied because she never asked me to change my clothes or brush my hair, which happened every Sunday. No, every day. She settled on a classic black dress. She looked completely normal to me. My mom's wig was almost identical to her hair before she lost it, and most of my mom's clothes were black and white. But the wig was the loudest one at the table during breakfast and in the car driving to church as the three of us were silent most of the morning. Once the church service was over, I entered the fellowship hall and was hit by the smell of burnt coffee and old people. I headed straight for the donuts and apple cider. Donut in hand, I spotted my parents and took my spot by my mom's side. Thus began the Sunday ritual of me standing quietly as my parents talked to churchgoers for what always felt like hours. An older woman who my mom casually knew through hosting church functions greeted us warmly and I gave her a big smile as she approached us. She was always very kind to us and had a way of always making me feel extra special when we saw her. Without skipping a beat, she grabbed my mom's arm and said, have you started chemotherapy yet? Why haven't you lost your hair? My smile disappeared. Did this woman really just ask about my mom's hair? The wig? My dad and I had strategically said nothing all morning. Just act normal had been my morning mantra. With eyes wide, I looked at my mom and then at my dad. As I was about to grab my dad's jacket to notify him of the situation, my mom smiled and calmly responded, I started a couple months ago. This is actually a wig. Her cheeks instantly flushed and she quickly responded, Oh my goodness, I'm so sorry. I had no idea. Well, your wig is beautiful and looks just like your hair. She chuckled a little and started to raise her hand to touch it. My mom laughed right with her and slowly backed away so she was out of touching range. I smiled and nervously laughed with them, but I knew any mention of the wig was dangerous territory. They continued talking for a couple minutes about my mom's treatments, but as soon as she walked away, my mom grabbed my hand, politely interrupted my dad to get the keys, and led me straight to the back door out to the parking lot. Before we could get to the car, there were tears streaming down my mom's face. My heart started racing and I felt so angry someone had upset my mom. We climbed into the back seat and my anger instantly turned into confusion. My mom was now half crying, half laughing uncontrollably. She couldn't stop and then she began hiccuping from all the inhaling and exhaling. My nervousness from the past seven minutes melted and we laughed together until I was crying and the laughter exhausted my whole body. My mom took my hands in hers like she often does when she's about to tell me something important. She looked right at me and said, I wish your grandma was here, Erica. For some reason, all I could think about this morning is what my mom would have thought about the wig. She spoke through that lady, I'm sure of it. However, I'm pretty sure grandma would have slapped her hand for trying to touch it. We started to laugh again, and that's how my dad found us, enveloped by the warmth of my grandma's spirit and uncontrollably laughing in the back of the car. Mm. Perfect. Erica, that was so wonderful. Thank you so much for reading that. 
So let's go ahead here and take a quick break. When we come back, you and I will talk more about moms, daughters, grandmas, colors as symbols and, and writing. My name's Ashley Lehman. I'm from Portland, Maine. I was first diagnosed when I was 29. I was 13 weeks pregnant, uh, diagnosed with breast cancer. And then I had a local recurrence at age 34. And I found wildfire to be uh, such just an important um, resource and being able to read and, and hear others' stories and feel a sense of connection there. And that these women just kind of get it. Uh, and to also be able to share and, um, and write about my own journey. And that's been incredibly important in my own healing process. Thank you so much for the love, Ashley. Welcome back, everyone. Erica, thank you again for your powerful storytelling. Thank so you. I want to, yeah, absolutely. And I want to jump right into the, the story and the structure that you used. So you linked scenes throughout your mom's cancer with your diagnosis to colors. And that was incredibly powerful and made for such a lush listening experience, reading experience as well. So I want to, um, I just want to acknowledge, I guess, first of all, that identifying a strong structure as a backbone for a story can make telling these really raw, vulnerable stories easier, right? It gives you a path to kind of yeah. follow in that. Mm -hmm. Did you set out to tell this story in this way or did it kind of evolve more organically for you? So each of these stories I have written at very different times. Um, the one where my mom's pulling her hair out, I actually wrote that for an essay my senior year of high school for the first time. Um, and it's just evolved and changed over the years. There's been so many school things where I could use the story of my mom's cancer. <laughs> um, so that one of her pulling out her hair, um, is, has always been red. Like that, that memory is red. Um, and then that, um, you know, the memory of me walking around the pond was just very green to me. Um, and then the gray of the pillow, th those kind of came after I, I honestly think the structure started with that red bathroom, um, memory that has been with me since I was 12. And I've written about it a lot. And I think, you're right. Like the reason why it's so it's lush, it's, it's ingrained in my head as red because of the color of that bathroom. So, um, yeah. And then actually the last one was kind of the hardest to figure out, um, a color. And then it, you know, was obviously my mom's hair. So that's the color of my mom's hair is black. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Well, I, um, this might be kind of fun for you. I did a little research ahead of our conversation into kind of what colors symbolize in writing. Mm, and, cool. um, yeah. And I got some goosebumps as I was reading these colors and, you know, knowing your story and where they overlaid. And so I'm curious to see if they give you goosebumps as well, or if it's just like, Oh yeah, obviously. <laughs> yeah. So, um, all right. So let me share with this with you guys. So green, this was when you found your lump initially, you know, when mm -hmm. you were walking in the wetlands around your house. So green yeah. in storytelling symbolizes awakening, knowledge, and survival. 
Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> then, um, then red, as you were saying that super lush red bathroom. So your mom's losing her hair and you're learning to stand strong with her in that scene. Red symbolizes courage, defiance, tenacity, and love. Like all those things in that scene. Right. Yeah. Wow. Cool. Okay. So gray, there's even some for gray. Gray is when you were struggling with that pillow, your SmackDown, and gray mm -hmm. symbolizes loss and depression. Amazing. Mm -hmm. And then finally, <laughs> black. Um, so this is your mom's wig that ride home from the church. So black symbolizes fear and mourning, but can also mean security, mystery, and glamour. And I think we see all that in that yep. scene as well. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Oh, that's so cool. I know. Magic, wow. right? Yeah. And I really, I wanted, I had a feeling that some of that would be new to you. And I was thinking when I was researching this, how interesting it is, how our subconscious is processing our stories mm -hmm. and writing helps us bring that out and onto the page. And we don't even know, we don't necessarily know what we feel about a thing until we write it down. Did you have that experience of writing the story? Did it illuminate certain things for you? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, the, the, uh, the last story actually about the, about my mom's wig, um, it was more of a flashback, honestly, that, um, I had to kind of like really unpack and work through. Um, cause the main thing I remember from that was some lady coming up and trying to like touch my mom's hair <laughs> or her wig. Um, but what it brought out in me and what I realized as I was writing it, it was more about my dad and I and how we were like tiptoeing around it. And really my mom wanted someone to be able to talk to her about it and tell her she looked great. And I'm sure my dad probably did that. <laughs> um, but in my 12 year old brain, I was just like, don't say anything different. Don't do anything weird. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I realized that I think the reason why I remember that so much is because it was kind of stressful for me. It was a stressful moment for me. Um, and yeah, that, that definitely brought out some emotions I hadn't really thought about before. Yeah. And I like that, um, that ability now, you know, to look back on 12 year old you and, and mm -hmm. to kind of parse that out, you know, what was going on with each character in this story and yeah. what each person needed. And yeah, hundred percent, 12 year old you is like, first of all, be invisible. Second of all, mm -hmm. don't rock the boat. You know, <laughs> third of all, let me just beat up that lady, <laughs> you know, like all the emotions. Totally. Yeah. 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 Well, mm -hmm. I love how writing helps us also to be able to go back, relive painful memories and, and kind of smooth over those rough edges a little bit also. Yes. Yes. And I think the colors helped smooth it over too. Um, because I've had these snapshots from back when I was 12 and, um, to be able to put it into that structure with the colors made it feel almost complete in some way. Um, so that was really helpful as well. And you're right. Having a having some sort of structure is, is really helpful. Yes. And I think that's one of the powerful things about writing as a healing tool, because mm -hmm. you get to reframe, you know, the story, pulling out certain parts that you want to highlight, maybe tamping back down other things until you get that satisfactory, 
you know, ending. It's not, it's not the ending of your story. It's not the ending of your mom's story by any means, but it's the ending of like that thing you were grappling with and working with. Um, and it's such a satisfying, you know, okay, put it in, put it on the shelf. It's good. You know? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I have things from still my last, you know, year and a half of my, my own cancer journey that I've been trying to write about (laughs) and I can't, it's, it's hard. It's, it's still been harder to do. Um, and I think, uh, continuing, you know, having, like I said, I wrote that back when I was a high schooler. Um, that's something I now, I feel like I've healed from and it's, it's now this color and this memory that is complete. So yeah, you're right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love yeah. that. Well, you mentioned, um, obviously in your story and in our discussion, you know, that you've lived in the glare of breast cancer since you were a child. And mm-hmm. that's been a big part of your story. Testing for the BRCA gene meant that your story could have a different unfolding than what it was for your moms. And each generation, I think, will continue to evolve with this and have different knowledge at their fingertips if they choose to pursue that. So even still though, you had to make sense of what was happening for you, um, you know, as a child, and then still it didn't necessarily make your breast cancer experience a walk in the park by any means. So what, um, I guess what I just want to ask is kind of where you're at with, with everything now, if you can give us kind of an update since it's been a couple years since you wrote, um, at least finished this piece. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I would say, um, I took a lot of time last year. I gave myself a lot of time to process and write and being a part of your writing workshops was the best thing, um, I could have possibly done, uh, last year. It was, uh, it, it forced me to create the time to do that. Um, I, um, you know, I, uh, had DCIS stage zero. It was caught very early because I had that information. I was being scanned regularly and that's how they caught it so early. Um, so I do feel like I was given that gift. Um, and so I, I had double mastectomy reconstruction and after that was completed, the reconstruction in July, it did just kind of feel like, okay, you're done. Go you're good. (laughs) You don't have cancer anymore. Move on. Um, and I think that that has been, um, the hardest part, (laughs) you know, getting through all of the, all of the surgeries was, you know, put your head down, get, get through it, make it through it. But, um, now being on the other side, um, just processing how to, um, you know, kind of continue to move forward with the experiences I have now gone through and how they relate back to my mom. And it's created a lot of, um, you know, richness in my mom and I's relationship that wasn't ever there. That's been great, but also some hard things as well that, you know, um, we were different people were walking through it differently. Um, and then lastly, you know, I have the BRCA2 gene. So the other part of that is my ovaries and being 30, oh, 31 next week, um, 32 next week, <laughs> I'll be 32. Um, you, it's hard to remember after you turn like 25, I don't know. Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm just 
trying to wade through the waters of figuring out what to do next. I, I still have my ovaries, but that, that is where, um, you know, uh, you kind of hear the term sometime monkey on your back of like being nervous about, um, cancer coming back or, you know, that happening again. And for me, it's in my ovaries that I'm worried about. So, um, yeah, that's where I'm at now with my, my journey and just continuing to have regular scans with my ovaries, but Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, well, thank you for that update. And I know it's hard to, um, it's, it's, it is hard to write the stories, you know, but I hope that you continue to experiment with that and, and use it. And also this example that you've given us today, where a story you wrote in high school is still very meaningful and powerful to you. And, you know, you maybe even edited it some for, to what we actually saw today. So it's, mm-hmm. an, it's an always evolving thing yeah. too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Erica. Where can people find you online? Um, so I actually have a, um, Instagram that I'm, my goal is to start writing more on (laughs) and have kind of an Instagram blog. So, um, it's something very new and recent. I just started, but it's called at being B E E I N G dot Erica at being Erica. So, um, yeah, you can find me there. Excellent. Well, now you have some pressure to write there. I know Um. I do. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Excellent. All right. Today's writer and guest was Erica Fitch. Her piece was called Memories in Color from the December 2020 issue of Wildfire Magazine called Family. I'm April Stearns, and you've been listening to The Burn. The Burn's a production of Wildfire Magazine, where we share breast cancer stories from young women like you've never read or heard before. We also strive to inspire you to write your story like you've never written it before. Stay till the end for a writing prompt inspired by today's conversation with Erica. Our producer is Bill Smith of Shoe Production, and our production assistant is Monica Haro. Want more on the life-changing transformation to be had from telling your breast cancer stories? Visit wildfirecommunity.org to find a copy of the issue shared in today's episode, to find our more than 30 issues in the Wildfire archives, and to take a writing workshop with me. Discover how to write your way back to yourself, write your way to reclaiming your body and your story. And don't forget to subscribe to The Burn and listen to it wherever you go. If you like what you hear, leave us a starred review to help others find their way to writing the stories that need to be told. Here is your writing prompt. Set your timer for eight minutes, write without stopping or editing. I always say it, but seriously, keep your hand moving, your fingers tapping. So the prompt is to take one of the colors from today's story and explore what it means for your own story. The colors we talked about today were green, red, gray, and black. Pick one of these colors or another. You could pick purple, blue, orange, or yellow, and see what it holds in significance for you. Tell a story from your life that includes the color. What does the color mean to you? Eight minutes, write without stopping. See what needs to come out, where it will take you. Happy writing. Thanks for listening. Until next time, take good care.